0: I'm Fran, and this is Consent-Based Everything, a podcast about creating a culture of consent in our homes and beyond. Morning. I'm here today with Amanda Diekman, and uh, I'm so thrilled that we're getting to connect. Finally, I've been following you for quite a while. Um. And yeah, uh, before we get into anything, I'd love for you to just introduce yourself and tell people who you are, what you do, and how you came to do this do this work.
1: Fantastic. Hi. I'm really, really glad to have this conversation. Um, this feels like a long overdue, like human to human, real-time interaction. Um, I am mom of three neurodivergent kids and um, a late diagnosed autistic adult myself. And um, I started sharing online as low demand Amanda about the low demand method that I really learned by listening deeply to what my kids needed in terms of a parenting method. And when I radically attuned to their needs, this is the way that we learned to meet everyone's needs to mutually respect and care for each other and to walk our own path in a world that does not encourage this style of relationship between adult and um, child. So um, I, I really started sharing and talking because it was a part of my own healing journey of really working through the sense of shame that I could feel, I could feel the temptation to hide what we were doing. And yet it didn't feel right. It felt like this is a freaking miracle. Like the whole world needs to hear it. And so standing between those two poles, like I can either be deeply ashamed of what we're doing because that's what the world tells me I should be feeling, or I can be loud and proud and um, combat that shame directly by um, kind of transparently showing up and decided to show up. And the response has been incredible. Um, I feel grateful every day for the community that's gathering around low demand parenting and um really excited to be bringing people out of the shadows and into kind of a shared umbrella where we can look at each other and say, you do it. Like I do it. I didn't think anyone else did it this way. I thought I was the only one. And that just turns out, huh, there's actually so, so many of us.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I mean, I'm grateful you are in this space and you are, you decided to uh not hide and put it all out there. And I was having a conversation actually the other day on uh on Instagram with homeschoolers mainly, but also just parents, about how uh, you know, we all know Instagram is like a highlight reel, essentially, of you know, we tend to show up here when and it's understandable, and I get why we do it, but we tend to show up here when we have magical moments to share or beautiful pictures of our children running in fields or whatever Um, whatever is like looks desirable right um but you don't do that and you're one of the only people i think really uh, and i was thinking of you as we were having this conversation who who doesn't do that and who just really fully shows up on here and i think it takes a huge amount of courage but I think it's so inspiring i I know some people aren't ready to witness it. um, but I think a lot of us are, and you've obviously gotten a huge, huge response, uh like positive response.
1: yes, what yeah. you
0: um, and yeah, so just wanted to say that um,
1: one note about that is that, um. It's so important to remember that vulnerability in ourselves feels so painful and difficult and and really terrifying. I think most people's primary emotion when they're acting in vulnerable ways is to feel afraid. And yet vulnerability in other people looks like incredible bravery. And that generally, and it's not even like just most of the time, it's like 95% of the time what I hear back from, from all of the watching world is is incredibly positive, not just a little bit positive, but like overwhelmingly positive. And I just wanted to share that, that it'd be easy to think like, oh man, I bet Amanda is like fielding all of this hate and she's doing that so well. And I'm not. I'm not, I'm getting tons of support Mm -hmm. and I want to hold that mirror up to people who are afraid of what might happen if they showed up more transparently, but it doesn't have to be online. It might just be transparently with your spouse. It might be telling them what actually happened in the day when they get home from work or when you check in rather than just doing a highlight reel, even with your most trusted partner. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that it can be hard to even show up to ourselves, like to even tell the truth to ourselves about how hard and how beautiful our lives can be. That like oh, Holding okay. those polarities at the same time can be really hard, but it's incredibly brave and incredibly important.
0: Mm-hmm. And you, so you run courses and you do a lot of work online on Instagram and you have written a book. Mm-hmm um which and and I and as soon as I finished it I sent you a message I don't know if you saw it because I just I couldn't wait for this conversation to tell you and I just wanted to say that I was just it was amazing it's a wonderful wonderful book and I felt like I was with you on on that journey almost and I I did a lot of shedding of tears like happy tears and sad tears and like everything in between it just felt uh very very emotional uh it felt really real uh and yeah i i absolutely loved it and and i think i've said to you uh before that we i wouldn't consider us like necessarily like a low demand family like i don't you know i don't think that's who we are necessarily but I think the, the beauty of what you're doing and, and showing the the way you're showing up is that you're not telling people what to do or who to be, or that they have to have a label, you Mm -hmm. know, necessarily like a parenting label. Uh, You're just sharing things that work for you. And, and also it's not, you're not, I mean, I don't know if you consider yourself this, but you, you don't come across as like someone who wants to be a parenting expert. Uh, do you know what I mean? Like, you're just like, no, I don't at all. <laughs> okay. So I don't know if you want to say a few words about like what low demand is, how you conceive of it, um, how you see it kind of working for people.
1: Yeah, Absolutely low demand parenting is really an approach. It is not a litmus test. It's not really something that you can even be. um, It's really a a set of tools that you can employ when they serve you. And um, I think if I could do, if I could have one impact on the world of parenting, it wouldn't be for me to be the expert, but it would be for letting things go to like be up on a pedestal where it belongs that there is so much try harder that gets preached to parents from our earliest days you know as soon as we get pregnant it's try harder at being a good pregnant person and then try harder to read more books and try harder take this course And nobody, I I can't remember anybody coming alongside of me and saying, what are you going to drop? Because you're adding an entire human to your life. So what are you going to let go of so that you make room for this whole new reality? It's almost assumed that we would become parents with no loss, that there would be no grief, that there would be no release. It's only addition. And that's just not life. Where's the subtraction? And, um, So that's, that's what I want for low demand to be, is for it to be almost like a lens that you can use for looking at your life when something is hard, that you're allowed to look and say, is this too hard? Is there something that I need to let go of in order to be okay? And can I release as a first, as a go-to, release expectations, drop demands, rather than asking my child, my partner, myself to rise up and meet every expectation that it is okay to say, you know what, I think that expectation was unrealistic for you. And I'm going to let it go because it wasn't a fit. And my top priority is our relationship and not any of the things that you do or that I do. It's about who we are together. So for me, the, the best definition of low demand parenting is that it's it's a method of dropping demands and releasing expectations so that we can meet our kids with radical acceptance really radical acceptance or radical attunement is the heartbeat of this method and that demands are just the things that we need to shed that don't actually fit the real life human that we've been gifted to love Mm -hmm. And every kid has things that are too hard for them, that they are trying desperately to get their adults to wake up and see this is too hard. You need to let it go. This doesn't fit for me. And that low demand is about recognizing that we're bringing a lot of our own stuff to parenting and that we're being given a lot of lenses for our kids that don't fit them and that we're willing to take all of those things off and just see the child in front of us and love them just the way they are. I love that.
0: And uh, I think also like it's been the the kind of like high expectations thing has been normalized uh, to the point that it's it's almost a thing that we all take for granted. Of course, you're going to have uh, high expectations of yourself. Of course, you're going to have high expectations of your children. You should, in fact, mm-hmm. uh, because otherwise, how will they become great people who are well behaved and polite and helpful and all the things right and i i i just feel like i i want to reject that like i don't i don't want to have specific expectations um because i don't know i feel like that just leads to shame and i think especially after reading your book like i had so many realizations about like how sometimes when when we have these expectations, even if they're not verbalized, our children sense them, right? And when they fall short of them, they feel shame. Um, I don't know if you wanna to, want to speak on that a little bit, but I don't know, that to me is just like, that is reason enough. I don't need any studies or a- anything else to tell me that that's reason enough for me to just like put all my expectations
1: aside. Oh my gosh, shame is this, the centerpiece of, um, or having a lens for shame, having a real attunement to my own shame and the way that that is hmm, unhelpfully guiding me as a parent um, and the way that shame is impacting my children and their relationship to me. I think it's really the shadow side of kids do well when they can, that kids do well when they can. And when they can't, they feel deeply ashamed. And so is it possible for us to hold that reality that um, that we are shaming our kids? Like it, It's not like, it's, it's in the same way that like it's the water we swim in. You know, like I, I wanna be an anti-shame parent. And at the same time, I know that it's currency that is flowing in all of these relationships. But by naming it and narrating it, and noticing and then doing all in my power to drop practices of shame Mm -hmm. and instead embrace you are enough as that kind of counterbalance to shame then I really believe that I'm giving them so much bigger of a gift than all the things you listed at the beginning of like when won't they be helpful and won't they be polite and like I don't actually care about those things very much. I want them to be whoever they are, and to be that person without shame, mm-hmm. and nothing else really matters to me. I also think your work has really inspired me because there is so much childism. Do you like saying childism or adultism? Which one is your? Is. I say
0: adultism. Okay. Uh, just because I like to put the the onus on adults for the discrimination. Yes. You see what I'm saying but I know that there's debate about which time yeah
1: um, and I don't have a I'm not much of a debater in that kind of way I'm like eh whatever um <laughs> <laughs> but the idea being that like children if left to their own devices somehow wouldn't be kind and wouldn't be helpful and that they don't have their own innate sense of dignity and worth and that we have to like form them into somebody that's palatable and acceptable and good enough for the world. Because if we don't, then, you know, they'll turn out bad. And I just find that so ludicrous. Like, so, and not just in a funny way, but in like a heart-rending systemic way (laughs) where I'm like, burn that whole system down and let's see what children rise from the ashes like they may be exactly the kids that this world needs and so um yeah. i'm kind of ready to test it like if somebody comes at me and's like yeah but what if they blah 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 i'm like i don't know we'll see <laughs> let's find out i think it's
0: time mean, doing see. it one way up till now it's clearly has yeah. worked <laughs> You know, so we may as well try something new and and it's maybe not even that new, I mean, it's, you know, parenting without shame and what many of us might call permissive parenting is actually, you know, perhaps the way that we were parenting millennia ago and perhaps this parenting that we might see in other parts of the world. It's certainly not something that is now mainstream in Western countries. Uh, so maybe that's why it seems so radical, right? to us, but it might not actually be radical for humans in human history.
1: Um, Any parents that reach out to me will say something like, I didn't know this had a name, but this is just what I've been naturally doing, especially neurodivergent parents who I think Maybe already a little bit more able to opt out of mainstream narratives because they don't resonate in the same way, and because those narratives weren't necessarily crafted with neurodivergent brains in mind. I think it's both a strength of neurodivergent brains, and it's kind of a byproduct of being left out of of a lot of things. Because you're like, well, if you tell me I don't belong, then I don't have to belong, and that's there's freedom there. Um, But a lot of those parents reach out to me and say like, this is just what made sense to me. This is how, when I listened to my own intuition, this is what I started doing. And that gives me some sense of confidence that this is a more ancient and innate practice that has actually been suppressed. And that part of this is giving ourselves permission to really listen to our kids and really love them the way that we're like biologically made to do. Yeah. And instead of getting all lost in like, sh- what am I supposed to do? And well, if fear, you know, this like fear of permissive parenting, that if I, if I, if if my kid pushes back on something, I say, no candy before dinner. And my kid pushes back, like, and I really want Skittles. And if you say, like, okay, you can have them, but, like something bad is going to happen, I think is the fear. <laughs> But I can tell you nothing bad happens. They eat Skittles and then you learn like, oh, actually I didn't eat any dinner because I ate way too many Skittles and that wasn't fun because like it just didn't work or it's actually completely fine and doesn't impact dinner. But either way you learn and, yeah. um, and, and there's really nothing to be afraid of. I think that's like a major thing that I want to show up and say is like truly nothing bad happens. and it's
0: that that's that fear that i think we are all somehow raised with that something bad will happen if we don't stand our ground on some things or if we don't do things in a certain way um and i think it's also like that kind of feeds into like the way we raise our children uh in a way that is essentially like we we don't believe they're trustworthy so we don't we, we believe they, like you said earlier, like they are, you know, not fully formed humans and they can't really be trusted to know what feels right to them. And they need to be very strongly controlled in order for them to then grow into the kind of person that we want to see. And I mean, that's like so many, we could really break that down in like so, so many steps that where you're taking the wrong turn at each you know, at each junction, basically, because I think there is a, and I think a lot of cultures have tapped into this. Children have an innate wisdom that is only theirs. And we don't know best as adults. We, we know different because we're adults and we've had different experiences and all of that, but we don't really know best. Like children do have an innate wisdom that we perhaps can't even tap into anymore and can't understand because we're no longer children Mm. and I really believe that
1: I do too it happened to us yesterday where two of my kids who were wanting to play together they both wanted to but they kept running into roadblocks in the communication process like um it's another one of these like wonderful mysterious child things to me that one person's game and another person's game it's like they're basically the same game to my adult eyes, but to them, they're like, it's so different, right? like yours has dinosaurs in it and mine has magicians and like, there's no way, Mm -hmm. like we can't possibly combine or sort this out. Um, And I'm so tempted with my, you know, 40 times around the sun to kind of step in and use all my skills to moderate it for them. And often I have to, and that's fine. Um, I do have things to offer, but then they figured it out in a way that like, I could never narrate for you how they figured it out. They just did. They just like one of them dropped something another one released. And like, there was some mutual listening and then, and then the magic happened and then they were just in it. Like they were so immersed and they were playing in a way that is not possible for me. I, Mm. I am no longer meant like my brain isn't capable of playing the way that they were playing. Yeah. And in that way, it's like, God, there's so much wisdom here and no blog, no course, like nothing can teach what they just did yeah. together. Yeah. And that part of what I think my job is in those moments is to have a healthy enough relationship with myself and with them that we can hold space together. Mm-hmm. their wisdom to flow
0: yeah and I think you've also said um at, at some point about apologies and how like in the adult world we expect it all you know you do something wrong and then you take a minute and then you go back and you apologize and it looks a certain way and the person forgives you and stuff and sure that does happen with siblings and with children at times but other times I mean especially when children maybe a Younger, but I don't know. My my children also have this experience sometimes, and they're a little bit older, nine and eleven. Um, they just need to go off and do something, and then they will come together again, and it will be like that thing never happened. You know, they don't hold on to grudges, and like the same way we might for things. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, it, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I, I suppose I'm, I'm just saying that they do have an inner in a sense of what what they need to be apologized about you know big enough perhaps that warrants an apology for them or or making it right in some way uh and what they can just kind of let go of because actually it wasn't such a big deal and sometimes we make a big deal out of something that for them isn't really a big deal
1: yeah i think that's really right i think it's worth stepping back and asking how is the adult gaze impacting this situation between well, children that if you've ever watched i i sadly i can't turn off my inner monologue like it's so very very constant um so i'm at the museum and i'm watching other parents parent and i can't stop analyzing the way that they're parenting because it's what i do and it's how my brain is made to my, wired and so if you've seen parents like script like highly script these apologies between children where it feels like it's all a big play performance for the other adult. Like this adult is performing an apology for the other adult through the kids. Whereas the kids would have their own way of figuring it out together. That would be much more healing actually for their their true relationship. But the script ends up completely getting in their way. I do script for my kids, but what I usually, my, my primary way of scripting is actually sentence starters to help them begin the conversation rather than scripting all the words. Cause I just want them to get unstuck and start the flow. And so I didn't like it when you is my, is one of my sentence starters Mm -hmm. Um, rather than get away from me. Like I didn't like it when you came so close and that then the other person's like, oh, okay, sure. And then they move. And um so there's no apologies needed for that. There's just communication that's needed.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: um and another one of my sentence starters is um I really like and then let them like I really like your building your I really like your Legos. Um I, I really like that cake. Can I have a piece? Like if I start with I really like it just gets them flowing into something into communicating. And I often find that if they're like grabbing or trying to um, I don't know, like get in somebody else's space that it might be actually a positive desire. Like I really like what you're doing and I think it's awesome. And I want to do it with you. Looks like sitting on top of you and, you know, getting my hands in your stuff. So those are just ways that um, it's, I find that it's pretty different than the okay, now you say, you know, all the words, um, and and it doesn't, it's not for me, it's for their relationship, and that, to me, is an important part, an important litmus test for me about my own scripting, like, is this for me, or is this for another adult, or is this for them and their relationship, does this bring them closer and help them to, like, build a stronger bond?
0: yeah. Um I wanted to mention also uh just from reading your book that I could really I really related to um just raising a child who uh was neuro is neurodivergent um I my son is we think he's probably autistic PDA we haven't had him uh assessed or evaluated and that's another another conversation but um but anyway uh I related to kind of the the figuring out of, for lack of a better term, what was going on. Uh, And all of the people who were in positions of some expertise, such as teachers, the pediatrician, whoever, um, continuing this kind of refrain of like, they need more boundaries. They need you to put them in timeout. You know, you need to be stricter you need to set more rules. I mean, this was just the, you know, I heard nothing else for years and I kept trying in all the different ways. Um, And so I relate it because you tell about your story as well of how you also kept trying in all these different ways to like fix the behavior or, you know, sometimes also fix just who your child was um, and certainly I was doing that before really recognizing that actually we needed a completely different approach. Uh, and that especially with a neurodivergent, especially with a PDA child, the whole set more boundaries thing was just never going to work. Um, and then it was it was kind of amazing when we realized and having that term as well and having that label you know shifted everything from like it's not that he won't do this thing is that he can't that was the biggest shift uh for me so yeah i i could really relate to that that part i don't know if you want to say something about uh boundaries and also like perceived permissiveness
1: yeah it's really hard it's it's everywhere um Mm -hmm we went, got ice cream yesterday and two of my kids were being really brave and they were going to try toppings for the first time. So one got hot fudge and one got cherries and they were so excited. And each of them took a bite and they were like, (laughs) (laughs) the hot fudge did not taste like the way we make our hot fudge at home. And the cherries were like coated in this anyway. Um, and, and they were so disappointed and they had a weird taste in their mouth and they just like lost it. And the people behind the counter, I mean, these are just folks scooping ice cream. Like, I, you know, I don't owe them anything in terms of a parenting, but I still felt their are gay. I felt them looking at us. And when I was like, okay, we're going to order two more ice creams. And I could feel that they were like, who is this permissive mom? Who's letting her kids, you know, have a meltdown over hot chocolate. Um and I ate their yummy other ones and I was super happy with my with my you know byproduct choices. Um I think that remembering that permissive is something that people made up as a category at a time where controlling children through corporal punishment was considered not just acceptable but desirable. And that adult control was the number one thing that nobody wanted to give up. And so what permissiveness represents is like kind of the ultimate evil through a certain mindset. But for me, being highly controlling and violent towards my children is, is my ultimate evil. Mm
0: -hmm. So
1: it makes sense to me that I would end up on what, if there's a spectrum, if what they're identifying is that there's a spectrum of ways to look at children. Mm -hmm. And we believe that the best and right way is over here because this over here would lead to total chaos. And I'm like, let's do this. I think we need chaos. chaos. (laughs) A certain kind of chaos, you know? Yeah. Um, Then that makes my heart leap. And I'm like, okay, you know um, let's, like we said before, let's try. I yeah. also think there is something to be said for the um what I think of as like a modern permissiveness is actually a more of a dissociative, distracted parenting yeah. where we're, we're just we're either overwhelmed or too busy or there's too much piled on our plate. And so we're trying to multitask our way through so much of parenting life um, that we are saying yes to our kids because it's the path of least resistance. It's kind of the easiest way to get them out of our hair. And so we can get back to the thing that we were really trying to do. And And that's very different.
0: Yeah. That's not, I think what you're talking about when you say, you know, that end of the spec, you know, the other end of the spectrum, I think that's It is a very modern, I think it's a modern phenomenon, for sure. We say, you know, yes, because it's just easier and we haven't really given it too much thought. We want to get back to doing whatever else we're doing. But then what I feel like in that kind of permissiveness, the adult is still retaining the power. Mm -hmm. The adult still has the power to say yes or no. They can say no at any point, you know. So parents might be like, yes, 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 yes. And then they'll get to a point where they're like, right you know no now I'm taking everything away and you're grounded forever or whatever like that's what I associate with permissiveness not what you're talking about
1: yeah it's that yes 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 oh wait no like that I think is actually it's not just that it's um like not a helpful parenting practice but I think it's unhealthy for kids too Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. all along the way what they're really wanting isn't permission. They don't want a yes or a no. They want a partner who will enter in with them and say, let's figure it out. Yeah. And they're never getting that. They're not getting that with the yes or the no. They're always getting a kind of distant controlling figure who, like you said, holds onto the control and holds the reins. And mm-hmm. and all the only domain that they really get is to ask and then deal right. with it. Right. Right.
0: And I think if you're still asking and you're not partnering, and there's somebody asking and somebody replying, that's uh, that's not low demand, and that's not uh, meeting our children on a, the same level, meeting them with accept with acceptance. That's the power dynamic is still there. You know, mm-hmm. you're still very much trying to retain control as an adult, even though you probably don't have a lot of control because you're saying yes all the time. <laughs> yeah Um, you still want the control and you will take it back at any point right
1: Yeah, Um, and often at a random point like just at the point where you suddenly check back in and you're like wait a minute what's going on here no or the point when something gets triggered in you and you get scared yeah and that it's a very reactive kind of permissive and there's no
0: kind of inner work to that either Mm -hmm. and maybe it relates a little bit like a little bit to when you talk about the fake drop Mm-hmm. I loved when you talked about that in your book because I was like oh my goodness yes I have done this so much I was especially in the early days of, par- of homeschooling especially because that's I think when you start to drop a lot of assumptions and you know your are de-schooling and stuff I felt like I was certainly like dropping things kind of apparently you know for everybody to see but deep down i'd not done that work with myself and i still believed things had to be a certain way i was just kind of letting it go for a little while hoping that like you know they would just do it and then we wouldn't have to talk about it
1: yeah the fake drop is where so um a demand i define as anything that's too hard in the present moment and so the dem- having a demand lens is just like looking at the world with this eye that people do well when they can. So if this person isn't doing well, then that means that they're saying something is too hard for me. And that's the thing we have to find and drop. So then we drop that thing, but when we drop the expectation, we're, or we drop the demand, but we don't drop the expectation mm-hmm. We don't actually let go of the thing that is generating the demand in the first place then that demand machine is going to keep working. And as we said earlier, our kids will feel it. And I think that that is a recipe for shame for the adult and the child. Yeah, because you can
0: fake up like, for yourself too, right? Yes. You can be like, oh, I don't care about the laundry today, but then you can keep thinking about the laundry all day. Like not do the laundry, but keep thinking about like, oh, sh- should be doing the laundry, right? I mean, maybe that's not a very good example, but...
1: No, it's a great example. I was just chatting with my community about cleaning yesterday and people's relationship to cleaning. And I shared that when I look at a messy room, I feel very aligned because I know that that's telling me, okay, I've been doing the things that matter most to me. I've been showing up and being present. There's play happening that's creating mess and or I've been prioritizing myself. So I've rested instead of cleaning up. And a bunch of people messaged me and they were like, but what if I would rather be cleaning than playing with my kids? <laughs> so I said, then you should be cleaning. Like, then you look at a kid on a screen and you're like, great. What a great golden opportunity for me to do something for me. When you look at a cleaned up room and a kid on a screen, don't feel shame that that's the last thing you should feel aligned. Like, oh, good. I am prioritizing something that matters to me. And my kid is just fine because look, they are playing and enjoying themselves and doing whatever it is that they're doing that is meaningful for them. And we're both doing what's meaningful for us. It's not only when we're like wrestling or building with Legos or creating art projects or taking walks. Like that's not the only time that we're aligned. We can be deeply aligned and doing our own thing. And for you, that might be having shiny countertops. And so do that. No shame. (laughs)
0: Yeah, sure. Um, okay, I'm going to let you go, uh, because I know you have exciting plans after this call. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for for being here and talking to me. And do you want to just share when your book will officially be out and where people can get it and all that kind of thing?
1: Absolutely. Yes, it's called Low Demand Parenting. It's available in all the places that books are available um, and is Officially launching July 21st, arriving at people's doorsteps on the 24th. Um, I am excited to share, I'm I'm sharing this with you as one of the the first communities. But for everyone who pre-orders, I have um, a course that I've set up called low-demand screens, and that really helps you do this kind of work in some of the areas that people are most likely to fake drop and bring shame and have this, like, judgment and all of that. Um, It's one of the places that people tell me, like, I can let go of a lot of things, but I'm not going to let go of of control over this particular part of our lives. So it's an invitation into partnership Mm -hmm. even there, and I'm offering that free for anybody who pre-orders. So you can find out all the information about that on my website at amandadeekman.com. And I also really do genuinely love interacting and connecting over Instagram. It's another thing I really love about the way you do what you do is that there is this flow back and forth between you and the people in your community. It's not a one-way street, Um, and that's 100% true for me too. So if somebody listens to this, or uh, is in your community and reaches out to me over dm on instagram i would be super thrilled and i would love to continue this conversation with you
0: right and thank you so much. Amanda. oh sorry uh d- did you just show your handle
1: yes low demand oh, okay i want to make sure
0: people hear it but i'm sure many people already know where to find you but um anyway thank you so much for being here amanda thank you Thank you so much for listening if you're enjoying this podcast please consider rating reviewing and sharing it's an absolute labor of love for me and uh, I would really love if I could reach more people with it thank you